All right. Let's read from God's Word. Look here on page 12 in your worship folder. We're going to read from 1 Samuel chapter 2. And as uh, you know, Advent began last week, and uh, we finished off in Romans chapter 8. And uh, for the next three weeks, we're looking at uh, what we're calling Songs of Christmas. And this morning, we're going to hear from Matt's going to tell us about this song that Hannah sang. And then next week, we'll look at Mary's song, and then we'll finish off with Zechariah's song. But this is from 1 Samuel chapter 2. Feel free to listen or follow along there in your worship folder. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, and the boy was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Will. As Will said, we're doing this series on the songs of Christmas. And there's a couple reasons why I had in mind to uh, talk about this passage. Although when I looked into it, I ended up coming to find out that this whole song that uh, Will just read that Hannah sings is set in the middle of a yearly festival of which the people of God would go to in which there is yearly family drama and there is yearly church drama and Hannah used to sew um, her son Samuel a new robe every single year and give it to him at this time. So we have family drama, church drama, and yearly sweaters. And if that's not a Christmas passage, well, I really don't know what is. <laughs> um, that's just an aside. Uh, the real reason is this. is uh, These songs that we're going to be looking at is these are people of God who are responding to God's faithfulness and particularly responding to the birth of Christ, as we'll have when... Um, we look at Mary's psalm and Zechariah's song. And this one really specifically has nothing to do with Jesus at all. But 
it will in a way, as we'll see. But this is, this is really important to look at because, one, it's going to show that God's faithfulness has been coming for a long time. And that this, when we get to the incarnation of Jesus, that this is the climax, the culmination of a story so far of God demonstrating His faithfulness again and again and again and again and again. And the other reason is that this is a, um, it really is a passage of longing, I think. It focuses on a character who is in a difficult situation, who is in a really a season of longing, and who is thirsty for God to come and to provide for her needs. And as we come here at Christmas time, this is just a, whether you're, you know, with your family celebrating the traditional Advent season of longing, or whether it's just Christmas shopping or dealing with, um, you know, family issues and stuff you are reminded of as the season comes and the season turns. I think that longing is something that really, really characterizes. Um, it really impacts all of our lives in a very, very deep way. And I just remember as I was trying to think about this and think through situations where that's been the case of me, it reminded me of a time Lauren and I, my wife, joke about this all the time. We, I graduated from Covenant College in 2007 and thought it would be a good job to uh, paint houses for a while to kind of get out of academics and just use my hands. And then the housing market tanked in 2008. So it ended up being a very poor choice um, of a career. And so I spent this time of is several years of just kind of laboring and really longing that I don't feel like in a career sense I'm really going anywhere, that the bills are hardly getting met, that like nobody is hiring, there's just no prospect of good work at this time. Um, And so what Lauren and I would do is we would go out to the walking bridge in Chattanooga and just walk and talk and walk and talk up and down and up and down and up and down the bridge wrestling with this sensation of there's a real need that we have in our lives that is really not being met, um, at least a need that we think we have, and we have to live in the middle of this circumstance. And we have lots of options we have of how we could go about solving this, but really the crux of it is that we're, we're there. Like, we're living in this period of longing, and it's uncomfortable, and how do we do that? Um, and there are so many different ways that this kind of thing um, touches us. I mean, if you just think, just think about this question as we go in, what is it that you long for? What is the thing that your thoughts keep going back to um, that you just really, really yearn to be the case? It could be, I mean, like Hannah, it could be the desire for children when there are no children. It could be the desire for a spouse when there's no spouse. It could be the desire for a whole harmonious family. Um, It could be, I know, for a lot of us, it's education for our kids. You know, how are we going to do that? Uh, How are we going to pay for it? How are we going to live in the right neighborhood in order to make that happen? Um, You know, we could go on and on and on and on. It could even be little things. Like if you're a kid in here, uh, I remember just longing for years for my parents to just buy me a Fender Stratocaster. I've mentioned that before, and they just would not do it. Year after year after year after year. And I was stuck in longing um, for years on end. So I want us to think about what that is. As we approach this passage and we approach um, Hannah and we approach these promises 
of God that we have here, I want us to ask that question of ourselves and really think about it. That, um, Sorry, I'm starting my timer here so I don't go too long. Now let me distract you. Um, but I want us to kind of take on those lenses of holding the things we long for right in view, right in front of our face um, as we approach this so that we could receive, really understand what this is like and we could receive these promises that... Hannah is able to give testament to in this chapter. With all that being said, um, we're going to look at two things when we go in here. First, we're going to look at God's uniqueness, that God is utterly unique first. And second, we're going to look at God's faithfulness. So just two points, and you do realize that it's the same amount of material no matter how many points there are. There's actually four points. Those are just the two. Um, But we're going to start looking at, because it's where Hannah starts, about God's utter uniqueness at being God. Um, In order to understand that, let me um, give kind of a second introduction and catch us up where we are in the story. Because this passage is a response to a story. Hannah was um, one of two wives of the same man, which was common then. And she was very deeply loved by her husband. However, she was not able to have children. And... The other spouse had lots of children. And in Hannah's barrenness, then her husband, when they would go year after year after year to this feast, he would give her a double portion because he loved her very, very much. And because of all of the relational dynamics that that caused, her rival, Penina, who's her name, would tease her every single year about the number of children that she had and the number of children that Hannah was unable to have. So every year coming to the celebration was also a reminder of what Hannah did not have. Uh, In really an unjust way, she had to be the subject of this teasing. So in the middle of this, what she did is she would finally got to the end of her rope, and when they went forward to the festival, then she went up to the temple, and she just poured her heart out to God, like... Without words, if you read the description, it says that her mouth was not moving. Her mouth was moving, but no sound was coming out. And that she was just pouring out her longing from her heart to God. And in that, she made a promise to him that if you are to give me a son, then I'll give the son to you. I'll turn him over to uh, work in the temple, um, to Eli the priest, and he will be raised as a servant of God if you'll do this. And she went home. And the Lord answered this prayer. This is where it says, The Lord had closed her womb before. Here, the Lord granted her another child. And so when we get to this song, this is the song that Hannah sings after she comes to the temple and she brings the child after he had been weaned and he is dedicated at the temple. Then Hannah sings these words, which are just um, unbridled, thankfulness, and declaration at the very character of God. And so what I want to do first, let me just, with his uniqueness, we're going to look at the first eight verses. But the first part of this, I want to just walk through the first three. Um, And Hannah is going to look at her situation and she is going to um, give testament, particularly that God is unique In so many ways, I want to say he's unique in terms of power, but it's much more than power. 
Like he's unique in terms of his character, but it's much more as just character of attributes. She ends up saying that he is the only God. There is nobody, there is nowhere that any kind of good can come outside of him. That he is utterly unique in his very being. This is what she says. Starting in verse 1, she says, And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exults in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. That just means that this is unbridled joy. That at God's provision for her, that all of the restraint she would hold, she is now giving up. And the only restraint that is on this is that it is joy in the Lord. So it's going upwards. She is pouring everything she has, looking to God in thankfulness. And my horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. This, it, just, this, it gives us the picture of a mouth that is like, literally, my mouth is bigger over my enemies. So it gives us this picture that somebody had nothing to say. They had nothing but longing, no words to say in the face of her rival. And now, because of what the Lord has done, now it's like her mouth has gotten bigger. Now she has tons of say. Nothing in and of herself, but because of God's salvation, because of His work, because of His provision, then she is able to turn her heart into praise. And let me just just think about two dynamics here with her response. In the first place, she's in anguish, and her response is to pour everything she has out to God. It gives us a testimony of her character underneath, of where she sees that any kind of good, any kind of help can actually come from where she goes and where she pours it out. If we don't see that, I think we can think that praise only comes when God actually grants what we ask for. But I don't, really don't think that's the case. Because of Hannah's posture, then Hannah is able to see that the good that God gives her in giving a child could only come from God. It can come from nowhere else. And for all of us, this is a testimony that all good comes from God. Everything we have, all good comes from God. You know, many of us are talented. Some of us think that we are very untalented. Some of us have much. Some of us have little. And there are all kinds of reasons. Some of us come from families that have much. Some have families that have little. Some of us have many children. Some of us have few or none. But all of that, that Hannah is saying that all good only comes from God. And as we go on, she takes, so she's taking this in her own experience, and she takes that to the Lord to say, There is none holy like the Lord. There is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. God is utterly unique. And not in the sense that he has rivals, like we have choices, of how we can provide for ourselves, how we can get good in this life, is she's saying there's only one source. God is utterly unique in that all good comes from Him. He is the ultimate provider for us, for anybody. Uh, rich, poor, anything, everything comes from God. So she's able to say that strength comes from the union with God from a trust in His provision, strength does not come from dependence on oneself. 
And so she's able to say things like to the arrogant, like that the arrogant should no longer talk proudly, but those who are poor um, can be lifted up because everything good comes from God. And this is, this seems basic in a way. Um, This is the kind of thing, if you grew up in the church, you grew up hearing all the time. It's very difficult for us to get our heads around that, especially our hearts in our day and age. Uh, Some because um, we have more knowledge and we have more technology, we have more ability, we have more strategies than we have ever had, ever. And it is very easy for us to trace back where the good stuff that we have comes from. I mean... We, I mean, as a human race, we can get out our microscopes, we can get our telescopes, we can examine the entire world, and what we find eventually is um, that everything comes from the Amazon Fulfillment Center and not from um, ourselves. But no, but this is, Hannah, because of her position of weakness, is able to see a characteristic of God that was blind to her otherwise, that he is the only one. That it is strength comes from being in linked with, united with, in trust with the only source of good that there is, not strength in and of herself. And as she is positioned to see that, then her heart is prepared when she does taste good to direct that joy in the right place. That God is utterly unique in his being and his power. And his character, and because of that, he is the source, the only source of good that there is. And I just want us to think about this in terms of application. So this is difficult for us to get our heads around. One, because it's we can it's very easy for us to think that we get everything we have from ourselves. But two, um, it is risky. Her posture is really, really risky. And that this, it made me think of, um, and I'm kind of glad the chairs were here. I'm standing up on the stage. Um, you remember Indiana Jones in The Last Crusade when he's standing on that, uh, the invisible bridge that he has to get across? Um, it's kind of talking about blind faith in a way that's not necessarily accurate to what God is saying. But Indiana Jones is in this position where he has to get across this chasm and it is nothing but blackness underneath. And he can't see the pathway to the other side. So, but what he has to do is he has this message. He tells him to go across and he has to kind of take blind faith. He puts out his foot and he uh, leaps forward. The thing I want to just bring out about this is that depending on God as the only source of good is really, really risky. Because we don't know what he's going to do. We have lots of longings. We have lots of gifts that we would rather trade. That we would not have. We would like to have gifts that other people have and not our own. But Hannah's praise is, is helps us to get in this position to see where good actually comes from. And it is a challenge to our hearts and our fears in the middle of our longings. Where is the rock that we can depend on? It's not in us, but it's in his uniqueness. And one more word about this before moving on. Just look at these other verses, how God ends up applying his character, his uniqueness. If we go through this passage, he, these are just verse after verse after verse of the low being raised and the mighty being brought down. It's like the Lord turns winners into losers and he turns losers into winners. Why is that? And this is an important thing to get. It is not because God hates winners. 
It's not because he hates when people have a lot. And it's not because he particularly just loves people that have little, just because they have little. But if strength comes in God as the utterly unique one, the one from, from whom all good comes, then it means that those who have a lot and who trust in themselves inevitably are, are displaced from the source of that strength. And those who are weak, who are cry out to God and put strength in Him, are able to find refuge in Him. So strength here is defined by a connection with God, about being bound to Him as the source of good. And in that, in that, then the, the, those who are strong in their own eyes are brought down and those who are weak are brought up because God is the source of good. This is personal. That's the point. The way that God applies His uniqueness, it is a personal giving and relationship of taking care of His people. So this is the first thing. When we just look at Hannah's situation and her predicament of longing, then we see in her praise the picture of a God that is utterly unique as the only source of good. And with Hannah, then we are given the direction to focus all of our trust and all of our praise, even in the middle of longing. And that is to the only source of good there is, and that is God himself. So that's the first point. I think Hannah's helps us to see a God that is unique and turns our eyes towards Him and away from ourselves. There's one more point here. And that is, I want us to zoom out for a second and think about Hannah, not just in terms of her own situation, but think about something broader that is going on with the people of God as a whole. Just to give a little bit of context, where Hannah is, Hannah has a predicament of longing that is about children. But the whole people of God have their own predicament that really has um, a character all on its own. If we were to back up, which is a different book, but if you were to think about the book of Judges, which is a train wreck example of the extent that humanity can go when they are left to their own strength and try to provide for themselves, we are left with this verse that says, in those days there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. So there's chaos. There's social chaos. There's moral chaos. um, And there is great vulnerability as the nations outside of the people of God are ready to take over this land. So inside is a mess. Outside is a mess. There's no king. There's nobody to bind the people together and to lead them forward. This is a nation in a time of longing. And then when we get here, if we follow Samuel's story, he he starts to say some interesting things. And and after Samuel is given, in 3 verse 1, there's a note that says, The word of the Lord had not been in Israel for a long time. There had been no frequent vision. There had been a long period of silence where it seemed like God was not acting, that he was not providing for his people. But then if we follow it on a little bit further... As Samuel grows, as Samuel is confirmed, then we get to see that the word of the Lord has come back. That Samuel is established as a prophet of Israel. The word of the Lord belongs with him. God is on the move again for the sake of his people. If you read the Chronicles of Narnia, um, this is like Aslan is on the move again. 
This is a testimony that God is up to something for the sake of his whole people. Um, that is in the actions of the people, even in the minute details like uh, the life of Hannah. As we think about this, Hannah is kind of leading us there to think about this herself. If we get into verse 9, she starts to think about her own situation in the beginning, and then she moves and starts to think about the people of the whole. That God will guard the feet of His faithful ones, but the wicked He'll cut off. For not by might shall a man prevail. So she's picking up on this theme, projecting forward of what God's character, His uniqueness has to mean for His people. But if you're reading this letter, you're an Israelite, and you're reading this letter, you get to see the action of God, how He is working through Hannah, He brings a prophet in Samuel. And this is the prophet who would end up ushering in the king. The true king that would be the greatest king in history, in the history of Israel, who will lead the people in strength, not by armies, but in faithfulness to the Lord as the only source of good. As we see this, then what we see ultimately is that God, no matter what, never leaves His people in the dark for forever. This is one story in many where if you're an Israelite, you can look at and see, okay, God has made promises to this people of which I am a part, and He has done some extraordinary things to preserve the well-being of this people and all the promises that belong to it. And this is not the first time. He did this by calling Abraham out of nowhere. He did this in Moses by bringing them out of Egypt, his people out of Egypt, parting the Red Sea and leading them to safety. Time and time and time again, there is a story of God who has been faithful to his people, not just in his character, but all throughout history. These are tangible examples of where God has intervened for the sake of his people, and he has not let them go. So what does this mean for us? In the first part... If God is faithful to His people, and you are a part of His people, then it doesn't mean that your situation necessarily is going to look just like Hannah's. But it does mean that God is committed to you. As a member of His people, there is example after example after example, not just one, but many, that God is the driver of the story, and He will bring it to an end no matter what bumps come along the road. And this is one of the neat things we have about the Old Testament, is just these gritty, tangible examples of God's faithfulness again and again and again and again. But that's one aspect of God's faithfulness. Ultimately, Hannah brings us here in the end to this last verse, which is remarkable. At the end of verse 10, she says, The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to His King, and exalt the horn of his anointed. If you're paying attention, there is no king in Israel at this point. So kind of where we are in history is there's probably murmurings that we need a king, we're afraid of these nations attacking, and um, there was a provision for a king in Deuteronomy. We really want a king who is going to deliver us. And so this is a hope and expectation in the kingship, the office that God has already provided that he will come and he will, the Lord will eventually rule through his anointed and he will bring peace and he will bring prosperity in their situation of longing.
And this would eventually be David. But it didn't stop there with David either. That she's giving testimony to this fact that the well-being of the people is directly tied with the well-being of God's anointed. He doesn't judge the earth indiscriminately, but he will judge the ends of the earth through his anointed. And that, of course, brings us to this season here where we are celebrating the gift of the king, the King Jesus, the king that was greater than David, the ultimate provision of a king through which he could bring his people goodness, through which he could rule to all the way to the extent of everything being made new, and to the extent that he could even bring a sinful people in and of himself. And he could give them the goodness that was not their own, but that belongs to him. So this is a foreshadowing of what we actually get to celebrate here and our side of history we have provided in Jesus. But how did he do this? Jesus came not in might, not in strength, not with horns blowing, but he came with the same kind of meekness, and weakness and fragility of someone here like Hannah. He takes the weakness and the, the situation of fear that we live in, of is God going to provide, and he took that all upon himself. He became that for us. So that wherever we are, as we are bound to him, as he is raised and he is exalted, as he is interceding for us, as he is ruling the nations and as he is bringing the story to an end, that your well-being is not tied with you. It's not tied with how well you keep the law. It's not tied to how well your families are conflict-free. It's not tied to how, how even material prosperity But we all, as the people of God, get to hope in this season because God has sent a king through whom he could bring prosperity to his people. So where is it? Like bring that longing, bring whatever it is you're thinking of into the forefront and just think about it. What does this mean? In a way, this still leaves us a little bit vulnerable because we don't know what God's going to do. We don't. Some he raises... Some he brings through hard seasons. Some, like Hannah, he grants the petition. Some he leaves in longing for a long time. But the gift of Jesus is one, it gives us the ultimate end of how it will all tie up. But this also is God is the present reigning king who gave his son in weakness for us. This is a testimony to the relationship and the commitment that God has to you as a member of the people of God, even now. And with that, Jesus is actually waiting to. As he sits by the throne in heaven, he is waiting to make all things new. He is waiting alongside with you, praying to the Lord for you. Standing as the perfect sacrifice between you and God, who is declaring, putting you before God as righteous and clean and begging for your good on his behalf. So what this is, what Hannah and this passage and what her point in history does, is this is a message to our hearts to give them up to God. To yearn for him in distress. To give thanks for him and to him in prosperity. And ultimately to look to him as the only source of good 
even in the middle of the longing. Let's pray together. Dear Father, we thank you for Jesus, and we thank you for all of your good things. As we, a people with rebellious hearts and a people who recoil from pain and who don't like suffering and who are filled with longing, we ask that in your spirit, as you pray for us, that you would continue to build us up. You would pull our eyes off of yourself, but that we would be enamored with the gift of your King, King Jesus, and that we would find our hope in him and nowhere else. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.